Hi friends, this is Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to the Unchained Gospel Podcast, where we let the lion out of its cage in order to set the captives free from theirs. The title tonight is How Far We've Come. Review the rear view. So you can say that five times fast. Review the rear view. So you can see we have a nice rear view mirror there. You can't really see it because it's dark, but if you guys are familiar with Second Timothy, uh, it's written to Timothy. No surprise there. Uh, but Paul, he often talks about Timothy as a spiritual son. And we see something right in the beginning of Second Timothy. And he's, the theme over and over again in Second Timothy is like, keep going. Don't allow your circumstances around you to hinder what God is trying to do through you. And don't neglect the gift that God has given you to teach. Even if people look at you and think you're young, even if people are leaving the faith because they see me, their spiritual father, Paul, in chains, don't allow those things to keep you from accomplishing what God has given you to do. So he starts off uh, chapter 1, verse 3, And he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith and faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I thought it was really cool that they sang that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear, I'm a child of God, because that totally unprovoked, I didn't ask them to pick any particular song tonight, but the idea of our heritage in Christ, even if we did not come from a Christian family, because I would say the majority of us... uh, we're not raised in a Christian home the way we practice our Christianity. I'll say they may have been God-fearing people, they may have been church attenders, but they may not have been disciples of Christ, or at least you didn't witness that on a, re- a regular basis. Uh, I know that's, I was fortunate enough to have my mom be an example to me, but uh, my dad was off doing whatever he wanted. So thankfully, God has redeemed him as well many, many years later and restored the years that the locust has eaten as far as my relationship with them. So I praise God for that. But I think I'd be talking to the majority of you if I were to say, like, you don't know what it's like to have a Christian household. You are the pioneer of a Christian household. Maybe you're kind of like, okay, God, you got to show me what to do, because I don't have an example to follow. You know, I, I, I didn't have an ex- The example I had as, as a man for godly men was the church that I attended, because my mom was a single mom, and, the, and the, the pastors and the elders and the ladies of the church came around our family, and we're very grateful for that. And I hung out at the church all the time because I was homeschooled, so I would do my work in the church building. So I would watch men serve God. That was like my tutelage, I guess. And, and they were my spiritual fathers, just as Timothy had Paul as his spiritual father. And it's interesting because we know of Timothy that his father was a Greek, so he wasn't raised in the Jewish faith Uh, But he says, your mother and your grandmother had this faith. So whatever the situation, maybe Timothy didn't have his dad around, so Paul kind of took on the role of that leadership. Um, 
we're not sure. It doesn't really get into the details in the Scriptures. But the idea here that if you read again, and I kind of tried to emphasize it as I was reading it, but the idea of remembering, reminding yourself, calling to mind things from the past, which oftentimes we don't like to think that way. We don't like to think about things from our past. And we as Christians especially have selective memory, um, and I would say just all children of God, because we, we just went through Exodus, and we're moving through into Joshua next year, which is funny to say it's next week, but um, we see time and again that God is, what is God always saying? Like, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I am the God of your father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If I got you out of Egypt, I'm going to get you through this. You feel that God is like a broken record sometimes because he's constantly saying, remember. And what I find really interesting is sometimes we as Christians are like, we get into a mindset that we don't like what happened to us in the past. So we just like, we get saved and everything that happened before we were saved, we don't ever think about ever again, which there's a lot of stuff you probably never want to think about, or you don't want to remember the things that you did, which is totally understandable. You know, the either the things that were done to you or the things that you did personally that were not a reflection of who you are now in Christ. But I think sometimes we, we use those blinders to our own detriment because there were times in our life, and I remember Don Smith sharing his testimony saying like, even before I was saved, now that I'm on the other side here and I can look back, I can see God working. He, you know, I hope he doesn't mind. He, it, the testimony's on the website, so you can listen to it. But he had been engaged to an, an unbeliever. He was an unbeliever. And he knew in his heart that he was not supposed to marry this woman. So like two weeks before the wedding, he called it off. And, you know, this is kind of weird. You know, in, an unbel- in the unbelieving world, you think about it and you're like, oh, well, yeah, people are always breaking up all the time. They're, nobody has any commitment, whatever. But little did he know that God was preparing a pastor's daughter for him uh, you know, he would become a Christian and, and meet a pastor's daughter, which is Jean, his wife, and that God would, you know, use them mightily in this church locally, uh, and, and Don, you know, Don is here uh, serving, and God works even in the lives of those who are unbelievers to draw him to himself. So I think sometimes when we discard the life of the past, there are valuable lessons and, and signposts to God that we are neglecting to really understand. Um, so, I would say we, we do two things, and we see examples of them in Scripture, obviously. We see the Israelites, when they're in the, the wilderness, they're always like, oh, I wish I was in Egypt. It was so much better there. We had garlic there, which I'm sure their spouses weren't happy they were saying there. They're like, I'm glad we don't have garlic here. <laughs> I don't have to smell that on your breath anymore. But um, they had leeks and garlic and this and that. And they would rather, they would trade their freedom for a clove of garlic. And it seems so trivial. And we look at the the Egyptians and we, or the Israelites and we say, oh, they're so naive. They're so dumb. They don't see the pillar of cloud and fire in front of them. All they can think about is the leeks and garlic. But they're forgetting the sting of the master's whip. They're forgetting the, the feel of rusty chains on their wrists. We never do that as Christians, probably. I mean, I, I don't think we do. I think we have a very very uh, enlightened view on things. We, don't, we never look back fondly at things that were bad for us and forget that they were bad for us, you know. I'm being facetious, obviously, but we, we have a tendency to look back on our lives and say, 
man, there was like there were some really good times there, and we make that error. So it, you know, for me to say, let's look back. It's it's kind of scary because some people can be like, yeah, I remember some great times partying and this and that. That's not what we want to do. We know in Genesis nineteen twenty six, we know the story of Lot. We went through it in Genesis. Um, Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed by God. And Lot's wife looked back behind him, or behind them, and she became a pillar of salt. And the reason, I mean, it doesn't really get into the specifics of what her heart was feeling or that kind of thing, but she had heard from God that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah for its wickedness, and that he was going to set them free of that. But she was still looking back longingly for the life that she had. That's not the kind of looking back I'm talking about. And Jesus even says it, and then he's like, remember Lot's wife. Like, don't look back at the world and the destruction that's coming upon it as though this is where we live. This is what we're here for. It's not. There's something far beyond that. But on the opposite side of that, we take the verse in Philippians 3.12, which is what I was going to teach on originally. Um, we all know this verse, and we quote it. And he said, Paul's talking about, his calling uh, from Christ, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, this is where we usually start the verse, right? Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is a great verse. This is like three-by-five index card on the bathroom mirror, on the refrigerator. We memorize these verses and we like them because it gets us through tough times. And that's totally fine. And it's a promise, uh, you know, it's one of those promise keeper Bible verses that we just kind of love. But the danger is, is oftentimes we can take things out of context. The things that Paul's talking about forgetting are not like all the, all the hardships that he went through, which is how we sometimes apply it. Like, I'm just going to forget about all this bad stuff I went through and just look forward which is not a bad thing, but what Paul's talking about in the context of chapter 3 is all of the accolades, all of the credentials that he had apart from Christ. He's, talking, he's like, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, circumcised on the eighth day. According to the law, I was blameless, but I would count that as rubbish that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That's when he starts to talk about, I haven't attained that. I haven't known him as fully as I will be known by him someday. But I forget all that stuff. I don't take my stock and value in that stuff that I accomplished for myself in the past. I only boast in Christ. So it seems subtle, but it's, it's an important thing because he's not saying like, forget everything from your past. It has no value. What he's saying is, forget everything that you identified with, that you said, this is who I am before Christ. So it's not that we just say like, oh, terrible stuff. I'm not going to look at it. There's a purpose in our selective memory, I guess is how I would say it. Um, when, we, when we do that, we, we often neglect some of the big verses that God has put in there for us. You know, we look back, we see the trail of debris, of our own choices or the choices made for us by other people that were, you know, involuntary harm on us. And we say, I'd rather not think about that. I just don't want to put 
any stock in any of that stuff. So we just forget all that stuff. Instead of saying like, okay, like here I am now. I'm sitting in the church on a Wednesday night. Obviously, God did something powerful in my life. So I can't throw all of that out. Even though some of it is bad and hard to remember, he got me here through that stuff. So when we come to the end of a year, it's oftentimes that we we take, you know, we take inventory on our lives, and, and this is, these are the thoughts that at least I think, I don't know, maybe about you, it's just another day, but for some reason, like, a day on a calendar just has, like, a lot of meaning to me when I look at it. I'm like, wow, like a new year. If you think about it, it's like one minute to the next. Nothing really changed, right? It's like when people say, How, do you feel any older on your birthday? It's like, come on, seriously? Uh, it's, it's like when you, you're, you turn 25 and your car insurance premium goes down. Like, because you're way more responsible now than you were when you were 24 and 365 days, or 364 days, I should say. Um, same thing, like, I got married. My car insurance premium plummeted, because I'm obviously responsible because I got married. I was exactly the same the day after I got married that I was the day before I got married. I just had a whole lot more responsibility and someone that I needed to take care of. So I guess from an insurance company standpoint, they're like, okay, yeah, you're more responsible. Um, but anyway, I say, like, I'm not trying to say like new year, new you, or any kind of like motivational catchphrase type of a thing, but it's important that we not forget where we came from. There's a couple of quotes I'd like to share with you. <clears throat> I'm a quote guy because people say things a lot more articulately than I can. Um, a guy named James Baldwin, and I don't really know anything about these people. It's just cool quotes. So if they said something like totally wacky in another quote, I'm not vouching for that. I'm just like, this quote was good. So <laughs> I liked it. Um, you're going to like go search these people and be like, that guy's a heretic or that guy's whatever. And I'm like, I didn't do a full on search. So uh, James Baldwin said, if you know whence you came, so that gives me a, a clue that he's probably an old guy. Um, if you know whence you came, there are absolutely no limitations to where you can go. Another quote uh, is Nishan Panwar. Always remember where you came from and who you were but live each day for what you became and who you are. So I think, let me say that again, because that's kind of a confusing. Always remember where you came from and who you were, but live each day for what you became and who you are. And that's what we, we preach here at the church a lot. We, it's like, we're a new creation. We have a new identity. But we never want to neglect how God got us there and be like, I don't know, I just, God just dropped me on the earth and I was a Christian. You know, like there was this, a path that God orchestrated to get you here on a Wednesday night. So it's important that we focus on it a little bit and redeem it and, and see the purpose for it. God said time and time again, after the Israelites had come out, if you remember, you know, they're constantly saying, oh, remember the, the garlic and all that stuff in Egypt and you brought us out here to die. And you would think that most would be like, don't think about that stuff anymore. We're here in the wilderness, or we're headed to the promised land. That stuff doesn't matter anymore. He doesn't really say that. What's interesting is that we see time and again in his Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God says, remember that you were a slave. He says it so many times, and you're like, why? Why would God say that? And he says, so that you will treat those who were slaves and foreigners the way I would want you to treat them. Don't become that person that is so isolated from the world 
and the, and the everyday life that when you meet somebody that's hurting or someone who's in slavery to sin, that you're like, I don't even know what to do with you. I've never seen such a thing. That's not the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is, I once was blind, now I see, right? We see it time and again. Jesus changes things. Paul says, you know, he talks about fornication and idolatry and murders and strife and malice. And he says, and such were some of you. That's what you guys were doing, right? Like, he's not like, oh, but you guys. We often joke when we preach, like, I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm talking about the bad people out there. You know, we say it sarcastically because we all know we all have skeletons, right? We all have baggage. Unless maybe you're like two. And like, what's the baggage that you have? Like you, you stepped on your mom's foot by accident or something. I don't know. You peed the bed. Uh, <laughs> but we all have that stuff that we carry around. You know, I've seen commercials and things like that where like people, like they're walking around and they just have like words on their forehead, like abused or uh, neglected. And, and if they wear it like it's a, a, a cross to bear. And that's not what I'm talking about when I say look back. Is that, so I don't want people to be like, okay, it's cool to like live in my past and repeat the same cycle. That's not what I'm talking about. But uh, Paul brings it up oftentimes because he says, like, remember my chains. He talks about remembering, remembering all these bad things that I'm doing on your behalf. So necessarily remembering the bad things isn't always uh, a bad thing. Does that make sense? (laughs) If you remember hardships that you went through and how you got to where you are, God gets glory in that because he sees you processing in the, the wheel and the hamster, you know, doing that, you know, database entry in your mind saying, wait, okay, so I was here and now I'm here at church serving, you know, like how did God do that? It's because God is a miracle worker. That's how. So it's important that we do that. And to look ahead to 2016, you know, as a church, we're really excited because I feel like, I don't know if this is a statistic that I can vouch for or anything, but 83% of the statistics are made up on the spot anyway. Um, sorry, <laughs> you didn't get that. That's okay. I'll edit that from the tape. Um, the, the idea of hitting the two-year mark is a big deal with a church plan, especially because oftentimes that's when people are like, all right, we gave it a shot for two years. Let's pack up and go home. But we are we have a lot of things on the horizon we're excited about. You know, we, we have a new place that we meet on Sundays and things like that. So, and we have a lot of cool things in the works as far as, uh, you know, women's ministry, life groups, as Chris was mentioning, um, men's events, different things that are going to be happening. And it's not just to do stuff. It's because there's people who are excited and want to get involved in these things. So, you know, maybe if you're not familiar with the church for the last, you know, you just started coming or whatever, come and talk to us. We'll tell you the whole story. Chris often, he kind of will go into it out of nowhere on a Sunday morning or something because it's an exciting story to see how God orchestrated us to be where we are now. And I would say that it's an exciting story for how God orchestrated you personally to where you are now. So you don't want to throw that out and forget about it. The problem is, is when we give testimonies, we say like, yeah, I was like killing people and doing all this stuff, and then I got saved. And then the testimony becomes really boring after that. And you're like, oh man, go back to that cool stuff when you were like a hitman for the mafia and stuff. You know, like we get a little too caught up in those details, and that's not what I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, to make that the emphasis here. The, 
if you would turn to Joshua 4, and I, I hesitated to go here because I didn't want to jump ahead because we're starting Joshua in a couple weeks, but I could not not go to this passage because it's so appropriate for what we're talking about. Um, <clears throat> Joshua chapter 4. Oh, a quick note as you're turning there. In the New King James Bible, the word remember appears 163 times. The word forget appears 60 times. But what's interesting about those 60 times is most of the time it says, don't forget. So it's remember. <laughs> um, there's very few times when it says forget compared to what it says remember. Because if, as, you, as we already talked about, God is always saying, remember the covenant that I made with you. Remember that I brought you through the Red Sea. Remember that I brought you out of Egypt and slavery. Remember that I brought you through the wilderness to the footsteps of the promised land. Remember. Why would he have to say that so much? Because we forget. We so easily forget. Because it's uncomfortable sometimes to think about it. It's like, yeah, but that was really scary that we were being chased by Pharaoh's armies. I don't like that feeling. I don't want to remember that. But God's like, no, don't remember that part of it. Remember the fact that you made it out and that I saved you and redeemed you. So oftentimes when we look back, we look at it from the world's perspective and we're like, oh yeah, that terrible thing that happened. Like for me, like, okay, yeah, my parents got divorced when I was four and my dad got remarried several times. uh, And that was always a pain in the, you know what, to go through that all. it, it, It was like the wound was ripped off every single time again. Uh. So, like, for me to be like, oh, woe is me, pity party, I'm thinking about it from here. From God's perspective, he's saying, just wait. I'm working on him. (laughs) And he did. And God brought my dad to himself about 10 years ago through probably one of the lowest points in his life, which was when my oldest brother got married and he realized, like, all my sons that I totally missed out on are adults now, and I've, I've kind of missed everything. So you could say, like, that was a terrible point in his life, but what did God do with that terrible thing? So do you think he wants to forget that he felt that way because it, it hurt, it was bad? No, because that was the point where he was, his life was changed, <clears throat> and he came to the realization that he needed Jesus. So um, when we look at things from our limited, finite perspective, we get really bummy, and we're like, oh, all this terrible stuff that's going on. I can't, how can I use this in my life? Like, I want to distance myself from this as much as I can because I can't see any value in it. But what I would challenge you to do is to see, look back on your life and find those markers, those signposts that God said, I'm here. I was in that. Even though it was terrible, I was there. That was my hand guiding you to me. Joshua 4, <clears throat> this is after they are crossing the Jordan as they're about to enter in. We'll get to this in a, in a month or so, or you know, we'll, we'll actually go deep here. But God tells Joshua to have the men of Israel bring stones with them as they're crossing the Jordan. He says, have the priests stand here in the Jordan. The Jordan parts and people walk through on dry ground, similar to the Red Sea situation. And he says, bring these stones, and I want you to set stones on the, once you've crossed over, on the land there, I want you to set up a pillar of 12 stones, 
And he also says, I want you to set up stones where the priests stood in the Jordan. And you're like, why? Why would he tell them to do that? Just put a bunch of rocks there. It says in verse 6, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And he says in verse 9, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Um, So people would come by like, what's with all those stones there? Like, oh, guess what? Oh, that's right. You weren't there. Let me tell you what those stones were for. If you recall, we just talked about it uh, a couple weeks ago when we kind of summarized uh, the rest of the story to get to Joshua. They rebelled and they refused to go into the promised land because of the bad report given to them by the 10 spies. And God said, okay, your generation is not going to enter the land. Everybody 20 and over is going to die in the wilderness and the next generation is going to inherit the land. Which is why, if you look at Leviticus and Numbers and all these things, God's giving commands. He's saying, write my law on the frontlets of your forehead, I think. He talks about it and he says, and put it on your, your hand, or I forget exactly, but like they, uh, they ended up having these things that they wore, and they wear it in their heart, and all this stuff. And they, he's saying, remember, because it's a new generation coming in. It's a, it's a generation of people that aren't going to remember seeing the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night. They're not going to remember seeing the waters part. For these people, this was the first time they had seen waters part, or at least they could recall seeing it. They were probably, you know, infants crossing over the Red Sea. So there's these sign markers that God says, put these here so that you can bring to mind who I am in the eyes of this next generation. I find that really important, especially for us, you know, have kids and, and you know, we think about how can we leave a legacy to them? How can we take what we've gone through in life and, you know, attribute the good into our kids and invest the good into our kids and, and, and teach them how to go through hard things, not shield them from hardship so that when they become older, they don't know how to deal with it. How do we balance that? How do we find those things? And that's kind of what I've been thinking about as I was preparing for this is the idea of like showing the next generation or just showing unbelievers in general how far we've come with God. Not hiding the warts and the scars, but showing them. Just like Jesus did, saying like, look, Paul said it proudly, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. I think sometimes as Christians, we tend to get like all like, woohoo, awesome. I have no problems whatsoever. And I never did. I've always been like this, right? I've had my fake smile and all those things and my turtleneck, uh, <laughs> uh, But to be able to say, not only do I have scars that were the result of sin, either committed towards me or committed myself, but I bear in my body the results of living a life sold out for Christ. Like Paul said, I'm pretty sure he probably didn't have any scars 
aside from just the, the bumps and scrapes of living life, before he converted and was transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. I bet all those scars came well after, because what, how would he have had scars? It wasn't until after he gave his life to Jesus that the hardships really began. Um, another quote that I'm sure you're familiar with, it says, it's Isaac Newton, uh, so it's an old one. He says, if I have seen further, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. Have you guys heard that before? Um, the idea of making new discoveries and, and going further and seeing past the horizon because of the foundation that was laid by the people that have come before us. And for, for those of us who are a first-generation Christian, how important it is for us to lay that foundation and to say, okay, like, where have I come from? Who am I really? You know, my, what's my, my earthly lineage? What's my spiritual heritage? Like, who did God put in my life to get me to where I am now? So that I can leave that to my children and my children's children, and I can start that amazing legacy. And that gives me a direction. It gives me a trajectory for my life that I didn't have before. Because sometimes we get so focused on just living in the moment and we forget to look back and see, you know, where we've come from. Uh, the, it's okay to look back as long as we're looking for monuments of God's protection and provision in the face of insurmountable odds. It's not okay to look back and say, I loved that awesome, cool stuff that I got to do. Or look at all the great stuff that I accomplished. That's not why we look back. We look back so that when we face an obstacle, when we face a giant, when we face the Anakim and everybody in the promised land, we go, we just spent 38 years in the wilderness to get here. And God got us here. So if we wipe out the past, we have no... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Sorry. Uh, We have no basis for our faith. In a, in a sense, you know what I mean? Like, we've see, we, if we look back, we see, okay, God got me past this terrible thing. He's going to get me through this next terrible thing. You know, I, I heard somebody say, whenever you know, sense that God's blessing you with something, make sure you write it down and put it in a basket of blessings so that when you're going through the next storm, you go into that basket and you start reading all the things. Wow, okay, yeah, God, you got this. This is okay. I thought that was really cool. It's a very practical thing. Maybe you could make one for your spouse or for your, your mom or something like that. Like, oh, it's a blessings basket. Like, what, you're, you're too cheap to get me a real gift for Christmas? No. Uh, it's, the, it's the thought of it. It's the purpose behind it. You can reassure them. Um, if you could, I think I have verses in Hebrews up there, 1032. I will be wrapping up. Um uh, <clears throat> This is the author of Hebrews speaking to the Hebrew Christians. He says, but recall, there's another one of those words, recall, remember, the former days in which after you were illuminated, meaning you received the Holy Spirit, you endured a great struggle with suffering. So he's saying, recall that you endured a great struggle, which we don't like to think about the bad stuff that's happened to us. 
partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. So he's saying, not only did you endure persecution because of your newfound faith, but you were partners with those that were being persecuted. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So I just want to pause here. He's saying, you have confidence. Where is that confidence coming from? If not from the fact that God has gotten them through those hardships and sufferings by their faith. And this is a quote that he, that from, a previous, uh, from an Old Testament passage. He says, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back. One translation, I think my translation actually says, anyone looks back. My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition. So he's saying like anybody who draws back to their old way of living, their lifestyle of sin, we're not of those types of people, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So this idea of recalling those former days, even some things that are hard, it's condoned in Scripture, which is interesting. It's not, let's dwell, and, and, and the world has gone totally cockeyed in, in saying like, let's delve into your wounds and your scars, and, and let's like get into the nitty gritty of that. And there's like therapy and, and psychology that says like, you know, that you go under hypnotism and they bring, back, bring you back to the most painful experience of your childhood. And how did that make you feel? Like, no, that's, that's, that's the enemy, in my opinion, because he wants you to feel that powerlessness. He wants you to feel that hurt again. God wants you to look back at that and say, glory to him that I am standing here today, even in the face of all that stuff I went through. Because most people would have given up. Most people would have cast aside any chance at faith because if God loved me, how could he let this happen to me, right? But we look back at that and we say, God, it's because you love me that I got through that. Because of the, the, the overpower, overpowering of sin in my life at that point could have just totally destroyed me. But because of your grace and love, you have brought me to where I am today and have given me works prepared for me to walk out in the future. So, as we go into 2016, I think it's important that we look back and say, okay, not just, uh, you know, when I was a kid, this happened, but like, look back at 2015 and think about it. You know, like, we did this fasting thing uh, as a new church. It was interesting, because as you pray, like, and I was reading a book about it, fasting, and it's like, write down what you're praying for, because you might not see the fruit of those things, for months, years, but God will honor that. When we were, uh, my wife and I were a part of Calvary Central Bucks, I was really, really, really burdened for Lansdale, and I was praying for it, and I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, this is before this church was even an idea, but uh, I started the home fellowship at Calvary Central Bucks for Lansdale, so it was out of our home, and I just, I loved being in the town. I just, I just felt like this is where I needed to be. And months and months and months went by, and I felt like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Like, I didn't feel like it was God's timing for me to do anything, but I knew that something needed to happen. <laughs> like, I was like, this is where somebody needs to put 
a church here or we need to do some kind of ministry here. And uh, I would say probably eight to 12 months of that feeling of just what am I supposed to be doing in ministry? Because I was at Calvary Central Bucks for a number of years and I, I didn't quite feel like I had found my place there. You know, we were there and we loved it, but I didn't find what God was calling me to do. So anyway, long story short, we're at church one Sunday morning and they announced that um, the Bonners are going to be planning a church. And I, in my mind, I had known that they had done something in the past in Doylestown uh, on Saturday nights and, I, and I'd heard them talk about planning a church right in the heart of Doylestown in the past. And so I, I just thought Doylestown, that's where they're going to go. And he said, Lansdale. And I just started crying because it was like God said, this is why. Like, now that's not to say that like, that's it. You know, like, okay, I've, I've found what God wants me to do, and I'm comfy, and I'm sitting here, and I'm just going to, you know, God has a calling on each of our lives to go and do things specific, I believe. But for this moment in time, God said, this is where you are. And it was things that had come from times and times and months and years and all that preparation that was behind the scenes that I didn't know about. But you look back. And I actually found, and, and when I met, I met with Chris and Jill, like when they first announced that they were going to start church, I was like, I want to be part of this. I think this is the answer to a prayer for a long time. And I printed out emails that I had sent to a friend of mine about, I'm really praying about Lansdale. Like, and it was crazy because I read the emails and I'm just like, what, Lord? Like, this is unbelievable. Those is what, that's what I'm talking about when I say markers or signposts because you look back and you go, wow, God, you were there. I didn't know what I was praying. I even would say, Lord, I don't even know what I'm praying to happen in Lansdale. I'm just praying for the town. I don't know. So, um, I forget where, did I have you turn somewhere? I apologize. Um, <clears throat> I would just like to wrap up, I guess, at this point. The, if, you, if you were raised in a non-Christian home and you've chosen to walk according to Christ, God bless you. That's one of the hardest decisions to make. Because it, we see it time and time again that people look back at their life and they're raised by an abusive alcoholic father and they then become an alcoholic, which you would think with your logical mind, like, why would you do that? You received so much hurt from that and then you just follow in those footsteps, which seems strange, but it happens and we see it. And you could probably name people off the top of your head that have followed that path. So for you to have come from a lineage of no Christianity whatsoever, or very fake, uh, you know, Sunday, Christmas, Easter Christianity, then you are trailblazing a new family lineage for your family. And it's important that you express to your family where you came from. You don't want to hide them from that because who knows what could happen to them and who they could encounter and how they could use that. If you've come from a Christian home, you may feel comfortable, but like, hey, I, I grew up in the church. Like I said, like I was, uh, you know, people know so much about me at the church I grew up with, it's, it's embarrassing because I was there all the time. But sometimes that can be a, a place of comfort that it shouldn't be because you're like, I'm good with God. Like my parents are saved. Like Timothy, you know, my mom's saved, my grandmom's saved, I'm saved. You know all the answers to Bible trivia? That was me. Like, I grew up in church, and I would, like, I'd walk out with, like, candy aplenty from Sunday school because I would answer all the Bible questions. All the kids would be like, I don't know, Moses? And I'm like, Psh, it's not Moses. It's Maher Shalahazbats. And they're like, yep, you're right. And I'm like, yes. 
saltwater taffies aplenty. Um, the problem is, is that that's, that's not... That's not true Christianity. It's not Christ inside of you. It's information inside of you. So to leave a legacy, it has to be a genuine relationship. It needs to be something that is real. And, you know, I, I would like to end with this. It's just a brief little thing. But I, I some of you know me, and I, I'm very candid. Uh, the, the last 2013-14 area... I had like this really pre 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 midlife crisis, I guess, and of what am I supposed to be doing with my life? Because I look back at all these things that I've tried and failed, or I look back at all this bad stuff that I've done, and I'm like, okay, Lord, like, what am I doing? Like, I'm just going to sit in this cubicle for the rest of my life, or what? You know, what am I supposed to be doing? I don't know, and it was—it's the most frustrating thing to not know what you're supposed to be doing, and I'm sure you can all relate. Um, so you know, through a long chain of circumstances, I'm not going to bore you with all the details. I ended up become going to work for myself, which I didn't think was possible because I have no skills. Um, seriously, I don't build anything. I don't have a product that I invented or anything like that. I just talk a lot and can regurgitate information that I study and, and then, you know, give out to other people, whether that be real estate or cooking or acting, whatever it may be. So I decided to go into business for myself which was a huge leap of faith. And uh, 2015 has been the year that I did that. So it's interesting to come to the end of that. And I don't mean to bore you with my own personal life, but to come to the end of this year, having started something completely foreign at the beginning of it and see, you know, I saw a, a quote and it was like, I'm not the same person I was at the beginning of this year. I hope you're not either. Because God is always leading us to the next place. Doesn't, he doesn't tell you how long you're going to be in the place that you're in, but he's always uh, working things out for your growth. And he is, and I would challenge you, he is using your past to grow you into a better version of himself, not yourself. Uh, he's conforming us into his image, even in the past. So why am I talking about all this? This has been really interesting to me because I... As you know, I, you know, I wasn't really a part of my, my, my dad uh, and my mom are divorced, so the Desiato side, I, I kind of drifted from a little bit. We saw each other at the holidays and everything, but I was not, for when people get to know me, they, they find out how Italian I really am, they're surprised, because I wasn't around the Italian culture, but my uncle's names are Caesar and Luigi, so I have to be pretty Italian, I think, and my dad's name is Luca, so I hope they'll never listen to this recording, so it's okay that I'm mentioning him by name. Um, but I was at my, my uncle's house for Christmas Eve, uh, the seven fishes, we eat the seven fishes, which is a famous Italian thing. And, uh, my grandmother passed away a couple, uh, a year and a half ago or so, or two years ago. And, uh, they pulled out a box of all this junk that was hers that they never went through while we're there. And inside, oh, I'm a, I, I, the business I work in is real estate, by the way, so that you understand why this is cool. Um, there was this package that said last will and testament. It's not what it is, actually. It's not, there's no last will and testament in here, but we were just looking through it. And we found an agreement of sale, and it's the house that my great-grandfather bought for my grandfather as he was preparing to move from Italy to America to start his own medical practice, which I found really crazy because 
it's essentially like the, the, I mean, it's the agreement of sale. This is it right here. It's one page, which is funny because anybody who works in real estate, they're like 14 pages long now. Um, yeah, so $13,000 they paid for 719 West Erie Avenue, northwest corner of Franklin Street and Erie Avenue in Philadelphia. And that house, my grandfather, um, Nicola Desiato, was a doctor and he started a medical, his own medical practice out of that house, which eventually became, you know, he worked at Gene's Hospital, if you remember Gene's Hospital. And uh, he was the, probably one of the primary physicians that all of the Italian immigrants went to uh, in Philadelphia because he was an Italian immigrant. So uh, if you know anything about the Italians, they're a close-knit family. Uh, family's not in quotes, by the way. I just meant family, not like the family. But um, I, I saw this and I was like, whoa, it just hit me. It smacked me in the face because I don't know a lot about the history of my family. I mean, I, I, everything's kind of like, nobody just talks about it. Nobody talks about it at all. So when I saw this and I was like, and my uncle was like, oh, you should have this because you work in real estate. And I was just like, whoa. And this is not a plug at all, but my, my business is my last name, Desiato Homes which is really cool because I didn't think about it until I was there and looking at this is that I'm carrying on the name, right? And there are a lot of relatives that I have with that last name. And when they're so excited about that, and I just didn't think of it, but they're like, it's so cool that like you're carrying on like the Desiato name. And like people I barely know, but it's, it's really cool because I, it forced me to be like, whoa, okay, how did I get here? Like, and now I want to like do that ancestry thing and like find everybody that I know, like that's related in some way, and like travel to uh, Italy maybe someday, and do that whole who do you think you are thing like they did on TV a little while ago. But what I find, I find it really interesting, and this is not prepared, but I'm just going to read a verse from Revelation, because we have a lineage, and we have a, a past, a present, and a future, and I, I would challenge you to use and redeem your past and your present to impact your future, because we're here for a reason. We have a calling. We have a place that God has you know, put us for, for the time being. But I find this really interesting. He talks about the church of Philadelphia in Revelation, and he, and, he, and he says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. So Jesus is saying, you are living according to your legacy which is the name of Jesus. And then as he goes on later, he says, Beloved, I'm sorry, because you kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who will dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. I think that's so cool. I'm going to write my name on you. You're going to have a new name. And in order for us to live our lives in a way that has the most effect in those around us, we need to know where we've come from. Because as James Baldwin said, if you know whence you came, there are absolutely no limitations to where you can go or where you can lead others to go. And I think that's what we're called to do as Christians is to redeem the time. And I think that's past as much as it is present. 
How can I use what uh, the enemy meant to harm me for good? Joseph said to his brothers when he had been in prison in Potiphar's house and all those things, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good so that I would save many people. So we don't want to think that all this stuff that happened to us in the past is not useful. It is, and it can actually be even more powerful if we see God's hand in it and we understand that there was a purpose for that prison or that trial or whatever it may have been. We can look in the rear view and be like, okay, (laughs) I know where I'm coming from and I know where I'm headed. And it's side by side with Jesus and the encouraging thing is, you know, it says like Jesus is my co-pilot or whatever. Like he's driving. He's the leader driving you out of that. Like it's in your rear view mirror, but he's been with you, taking you to your destination. <laughs>